Welcome to the holiday edition of Sustainability in the Air, the world's number one podcast on sustainable aviation. Over the next couple of weeks, we will bring you some of the finest conversations from our archives and add context based on the latest updates from the companies featured. First up is our episode with Scott Kirby, the CEO of United Airlines, the airline that continues to set new standards in terms of their sustainability commitments and efforts. Since our episode with them, incidentally, one of our earliest, they've made a number of major announcements that are worth noting. The United Airlines Ventures Sustainability Funds, SM, has now grown to nearly $200 million, backed by partners by like Amex GBT, Aramco Ventures, and Aviation Capital Group. Launched in February of 2023, this fund is a rallying point for businesses and consumers alike to support the supply of sustainable aviation fuel. Remarkably, over 60,000 customers have already contributed. Earlier this year, United also introduced a unique and creative approach to promoting sustainability by welcoming Oscar from Sesame Street as their new chief trash officer. Oscar is playing a crucial role in narrating the airline's journey in converting regular trash into sustainable aviation fuel. This is done in collaboration with Fulcrum Bioenergy. In another significant stride, United Airlines has committed to purchasing up to 1 billion gallons of sustainable aviation fuel from Houston-based Samvita. Samvita made headlines in April this year for opening its first full-scale SAF plant that innovatively uses carbon dioxide to manufacture SAF. Adding to these efforts, United is working in collaboration with Boeing, NASA, and key players to conduct in-flight testing to see how SAF impacts contrails and non-CO2 emissions. United isn't stopping here. They invested in EPS Electric Power Systems, a leader in electrified aviation batteries and powertrains. EPS's cutting technology is offering modular, flexible and safe solutions for various aviation applications. You can listen to Nate, EPS's CEO, in a previous episode of the podcast or read his story in the book Sustainability in the Air. Last but not the least, United's commitment to environmental sustainability extends to initiatives like UAV Sustainable Flight Fund and the Eco Skies Alliance. Plus, they have established United Airlines Ventures, a venture fund dedicated to investing in technologies that will revolutionize sustainable aviation. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I spoke with Scott Kirby, who is one of the most knowledgeable and passionate CEOs when it comes to climate and sustainability. Without further ado, let's dive straight into Scott's interview, recorded early in 2022 as he walks us through United's sustainability strategy and sets the stage for many developments to come. Today, my guest needs no introduction. Scott Kirby is the CEO of United, has been in leadership positions at multiple airlines. And the last time we spoke around a multitude of issues impacting United post-COVID, his eyes lit up when we spoke about sustainability. And in fact, I remember the last time we met, Scott, you were about to board the world's first flight fueled by sustainable aviation fuel, 
Uh, how did that go uh, just a couple of days after we met? It was great. Um, it was exciting to be the, the first airline in the world to, to carry passengers on a flight with 100% sustainable aviation fuel uh, running the engine. And we, were, we set out, you know, it's a demonstration flight, but mostly to prove that it can be done uh, and that it operates exactly like any a regular jet fuel, uh, which it did. Uh, but it was also amazing to me, and it's a sign of the hunger for real solutions in the world. Uh, the number of people that knew about it. a few hours after that, I was at the business roundtable, which is, you know, CEOs of big corporations. And, you know, a dozen of them came up to me to talk about the flight and they were excited about it. Like, I was surprised they even knew about it. It was two hours after we landed. Uh, but uh, it just proves that people really are looking for answers and looking for solutions. Now, it's not it's not just that your eyes lit up when we spoke about sustainable aviation, but United has taken a pole position when it comes to sustainability. But you don't have yeah. pressure like the EU airlines do. You don't have consumer pressure like some other airlines do. Yet you have taken a very commanding stance when it comes to sustainability. Why is that? Well, the pressure for me comes from the fact that I have seven kids and I want to leave a better world behind for them. I mean, it really is. Um, not just for them, but for everyone. And I have been interested in, in climate change in particular uh, since I was in college. Uh, the science has been fascinating. Back then, it wasn't called climate change. It was called global warming. Um, and it was a theory uh, back in the 80s. Uh, but it was a theory with a lot of substance. Um, and it was going to take time to prove it, but a theory with a lot of substance behind it. And... And so I've been interested in it for, for a long time. I also, because of that, recognize there's very few people that still recognize the severity of the impacts of what climate change will mean to the globe and how we reach tipping points that essentially become impossible, almost impossible to come back from or tens of thousands of years to come back from. Uh, and if we don't solve it and solve it pretty soon, uh, we're going to hit some of those tipping points. And the world is forever changed if we do that. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I just I view it as the biggest issue for our generation to solve and leave. And if we don't, you know, our kids and grandkids are going to curse us for not doing it. So that's plenty of motivation for me to try to do the right thing and make a difference. Absolutely. It's it always works better when there's a personal uh, motivation yeah. to this. But in our industry, airlines are not in a state where we can just tomorrow say buy an electric car and stop going to the gas station. Yeah. Right? Aviation is hard to decarbonize. What yeah. are United's net zero goals and how are you going to get there? Yeah, United is one of those hard to decarbonize industries. It's not the only one, but at United, there's really three pillars that we're looking at. One is sustainable aviation fuel, uh, which we've talked a little bit about, but United's commitment to sustainable aviation fuel is now more than double all the rest of the world's airlines combined, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, but it's still a drop in the bucket. But we're investing in companies and trying to grow them and scale them up so that it can be a real, a huge part of the solution. It's the biggest part of the solution. Second one is technology. So electric aircraft, hydrogen powered aircraft, there's going to be a market for that, um, particularly smaller airplanes flying shorter distances. Um, but they're not going to take over the plane, you know, flying across the Atlantic uh, with a lot of customers on board. And then the third, and I think most important pillar uh, is carbon sequestration. And United has made a commitment to be 100% green and said, we will do it without using traditional carbon offsets. Carbon offsets are basically uh, people saying that they're going to plant trees or pretending that they're, you know, or saying they're going to not cut down trees. And look, there's nothing wrong um, with planting trees. But the problem is it's not scale one. The problem is 
most of those programs are fraud. They're not real. They're trees that were never going to be cut down anyway. Um, and so they aren't really doing anything to change the climate. Uh, but more importantly, they're not scalable, even if they were real. If we planted every square inch of the planet that could grow trees, it would account for less than five months of mankind's emissions. What that means is when everyone is relying on carbon offsets on planting trees as their way to get to net zero, we've accounted for five months of mankind's emissions and not the next hundred years. And we won't be close. Um, and so we have to do something else. And carbon sequestration is the only thing that we have that's scalable that's an answer today. There are so many things I want to touch upon here. Let's start with carbon sequestration. It's expensive and it's not yet scalable. It's really far out in the future. I know you've just invested in a company that does carbon sequestrations directly to fuel, to SAF. Um, yeah, yeah. How does, how does sequestration scale and how do you bring the cost down? So I think carbon sequestration can scale. Most of the people that I talk to that are experts, they obviously believe it. And really what carbon sequestration is, is it's taking carbon directly out of the atmosphere and it's putting it in the rocks. It, that's the normal process that the planet recycles carbon. It's just greatly accelerating it. Um, and it, But it's really using the natural process. I believe we can get it to be cost effective. If we would put a price on carbon today, if we could get governments to put a price on carbon around the world, carbon sequestration would grow on its own. It's not economic today, but neither were wind and solar 20 years ago. 20 years ago, everyone thought wind and solar could never compete with fossil fuels. But today it's cheaper to produce a megawatt of electricity with wind or solar because there were government support, government credits to build and grow the industry. It scaled, it got economies of scale, um, and now it is cheaper. And I, the same thing, exactly the same thing can happen with carbon sequestration. Uh, we just need the right government policy and support uh, to drive the growth of that industry. Now, the interesting thing is, I'm curious to know how this will work for me as a passenger. If I'm flying United from Newark to Heathrow, which I'm doing this summer, is there an option for me to say, okay, offset my flight using carbon sequestration and will some company in Iceland suck this and put in a rock? How does this work from a passenger perspective? Yeah, there's there's not yet. Uh, but what we do have an option for corporations to sign up with something called the Echo Skies Alliance, where they're purchasing sustainable aviation fuel instead of regular jet fuel because sustainable aviation fuel is also more expensive. What we're doing at United is reinvesting those proceeds in companies that are trying to grow and scale uh, and build sustainable aviation fuel. The biggest thing for sustainable aviation fuel, though, is we need the right government support. The challenge that sustainable aviation fuel has is there's no government support for it. So if you have a feedstock, you can either turn it into jet fuel or you can turn it into diesel, but the government pays you a couple of bucks to extra to turn it into diesel. So of course you turn it into diesel. Um, the frustrating thing is that's an industry that can be electrified. Ground transport can be electrified. Um, and we need to get jet fuel uh, on the same, sustainable aviation fuel uh, on on the same you know level playing field uh, as renewable diesel and ethanol. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier that United has committed to double the SAF supply of the entire rest of the world's airlines combined. Now, when will I, as a customer, be seeing SAF on board my United flights? Uh, you already are. Uh, in fact, our flights out uh, in Los Angeles have SAF um, essentially on every flight. We're blending it directly into the into our jet fuel supply uh, out of Los Angeles. Um, and we have to have more locations. There's a facility being built in uh, outside of Chicago right now. Well, hopefully we'll ultimately feed Chicago. Another point that's a problem with regulation that um, all gets shipped to California because California does have credits for fuel. So if you produce 
sustainable aviation fuel in Chicago, economically, you almost have to ship it, which burns extra carbon, to California. We need That's why we need federal policy that's regular across the whole country. Because uh, those economic incentives are really important to growing the industry and building the industry. Uh, but right now, it's only available in California. Right. No, that's a very important point, right? It's, it's not available everywhere. There's shortage of supply in general. On the yeah. flip side, though, given that there's so, so much limited supply of SAF, United locking in a huge amount, doesn't that deprive other airlines of SAF? Well, it's not that there's a, there's a, the supply is so limited that that's not the issue. The issue is creating supply. The reason we have double the commitment of anyone else is we have gone off and helped build companies that are creating it. The supply doesn't exist. Uh, we have to create it ourselves. That's part of the reason that, and I hope, by the way, that's a record that doesn't stand long, that everyone else starts doing the same thing. But the only way to get SAF is to fund and build the companies that are creating SAF. It's not an option to just go off and buy it, except in minuscule amounts. Um, and that's why we're so much bigger is because we're building the supply. We're not taking the supply from someone else. We're actually creating the supply. Right. And for SAF, do you what percentage of United Flights percentage-wise currently have SAF? And do you have a percentage as interim goals for SAF as well? Uh, so we want to grow our SAF to 10% of our total use by the end of the decade. That tells you something. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Um, but it's still just 10%. But once we hit, by the time we get to 10%, we will be far enough on, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the cost curve, the, the supply curves for wind, solar, the same is going to be true for SAF. You know, it's a, it's a curve that looks like this. It goes flat and then it goes really steep inflection up. Um, and so the point is to have enough feedstock and enough companies building feed because you would need multiple feedstock um, to do it that it can scale uh, to to really get to what we hope will be fifty percent of our total needs um, in the decades to come. Well, that is significant, and and I'm hoping that will reduce. Now, SAF, of course, it reduces emissions dramatically, but it doesn't bring them down to zero, right? So you mentioned SAF, you mentioned sequestration, and then you mentioned technology, right? Yeah. And United, through the United Ventures arm, has taken, again, a pole position investing in the future of aircraft technology. But that's really long term. What's the, what's the play here? Is it really just long play for technology? Uh, you know, it, there, there are shorter term plays. A lot of it is long term. I mean, these, some of these hard to decarbonize industries, you can't snap your fingers overnight um, and, and change it. Um, SAF is, of course, the biggest one. That's also a technology play. Uh, you know, the near, the biggest thing that we could do in the short term and this, the lowest hanging fruit, and it's so frustrating that we can't get it done is air traffic reform. Um, we could cut emissions in the United States by 10 to 15% just by essentially using the GPS that we have on the airplane. Today we can't. Um, if you fly across the country, um, you will notice that instead of flying in a straight line, you occasionally do slight right turns, slight left turns. You're flying highways in the sky that were laid down back in the 1920s. It used to be bonfires. Now they're radio signals. But you fly over the same radio signals that used to exist for bond that used to be bonfires in the 20, 20s. Um, and we've got GPS technology, but we can't use it to fly. Literally, can cut emissions by 10 to 15 percent. Oh, by the way, save you the same amount of time. Get the time that you spend in the air. Right, right. No, I, it it is definitely a long road. Now you have through United Ventures invested in Zoravia. Heart, Archer, do you see electric as the future of aviation? I think electric is the future for small and short haul aircraft. 
um, that aren't flying very far. Uh, but it is not the future for big airplanes, you know, flying long distances. The, you know, the amount of the weight of batteries we would need to fly a plane from Newark to India far exceeds the maximum takeoff weight of the airplane without even considering you need to have an airplane and you need to have passengers and the, the batteries uh, you know, just don't have nearly enough energy density uh, for big airplanes to fly long distance, which is why electric and hydrogen have a role to play uh, in part of the aviation system. Uh, but big airplanes are, there's nothing even on the drawing board that doesn't require um, jet fuel. Um, and so making it sustainably is the important thing to do. If you want something really far out, I will tell you the one thing that I've talked to someone about that uh, that could, um, which is, uh, well, for those that have followed climate change, the, the like silver bullet is fusion energy, um, which is completely clean energy. Um, it's it, But it's replicating the process that happens at the center of the sun, merging uh, hydrogen into great larger elements and getting energy out of it. But it's been 20 years away for 30 years and it's still 20 years away. But there are people that say they've got modular fusion reactors that are, you know, like the size of four refrigerators that would fit on an airplane. But that's way, way off in the future and probably really unlikely. <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to be real. Wow. Nuclear fusion on yeah. my flight. Yeah. That's that's something, you know, yeah. I, I hope to experience yeah. uh, sometime in the future. One of the investments, the more, one of the more uh, newsworthy ex uh, announcements were actually your investment in Boom yeah. Aviation, the supersonic jet. Tell us about that. Why Boom? Yeah, so we, you know, we've been we've worked with technology providers throughout. Um, at United, we also view ourselves as the leader in global aviation. So it's logical if anyone's going to do it, it would have been United. Um, and you know, supersonic is something our customers would really love, and the technology has come a long way, an awful long way. I mean the Supersonic was really designed in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, the Concorde was. Uh, and technology obviously has come a long way. It's the first aircraft engine ever designed from the ground up to run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, so it was important to do it sustainably. Uh, but, you know, it fills um, a market need uh, that customers want. And, um, and our customers and employees have been really excited about it. I was surprised at the number of emails I got from from friends uh, that said, how do I book a flight on the first, how do I book a ticket on the first flight? I'm like, well, it's a few years away, so you can't, but <clears throat> I appreciate the attitude. I, I think you need to do a Elon Musk launching the Cybertruck and take bookings the day you <laughs> announce it. <laughs> and, and your forward bookings is going to pay for I'm going to leave the Elon Musk to Elon. No one does it like him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, one of the things, one of the reasons back in the day, uh, supersonic didn't work was it was really inefficient in terms of fuel consumption. Yeah. How do you overcome this problem going forward? Doom is it's not electric. Yeah. The energy, the the technology is different. Um, you know, so the, the Concorde had four engines and it ran on afterburner. Um, afterburner is you run the fuel through the normal engine and then you just dump raw fuel into the exhaust and the exhaust is so hot it ignites the fuel and creates extra power if you ever see you know military fighter jets you know doing their screaming by and you look at the tail the reason there's fire in the back is that's the afterburner but afterburner is incredibly inefficient um, this airplane is runs on two engines like all the other airplanes we have um, and burns fuel in the normal way. So it is a fraction of the fuel burn that the, that the Concorde would have experienced. But you would expect that. It's 
the Concorde was literally 60-year-old technology compared to what, what this aircraft is running on. Exactly. Now, one of the things uh, Boom's founders have said is it will run on 100% SAF. Is that something mm -hmm. United is planning to do? It is. And in fact, we insisted on that before we would uh, purchase the airplane. Okay. So one of the things is because it consumes, consumes a lot of fuel, one of the stats I read was if there was a Boom flight uh, using 100% SAF, it would basically use up 80% of Europe's SAF supply just for one flight. Isn't that taking SAF away from lots of passengers for less than 100 passengers doing supersonic? I think that's the wrong way to look at it because it flights in the future and the SAF supply has to be different in the future to make it work. Um, so trying to compare what's going to happen with a supersonic airplane you know, decades from now with the supply for an industry that's just beginning is an apples and oranges comparison. Fair enough. Uh, you know, hopefully the future supply will be enough for everyone. Uh, going back to United Ventures, it's a recent initiative. It's a little different from other corporate venture um, efforts from airlines. What's the strategy behind um, United Ventures? You know, it really is to look to the future uh, and to use our clout um, as, you know, as a user of the technology um, to, to change the world. Um, and we look for world changing technologies, whether it's in sustainable aviation fuel, uh, hydrogen powered airplanes, carbon sequestration, supersonic airplanes, uh, you know, they don't all have to be world changing. Um, but we're biased to find world-changing uh, solutions. And you've mentioned one of them, you know, which is one of our partners, you know, is going to use renewable energy, so wind or solar, uh, to take, we can take carbon, literally take carbon out of the atmosphere and ultimately turn it into, with, combined with water, um, and turn it into sustainable aviation fuel, um, literally making jet fuel out of thin air. Uh, those kinds of, you know, world-changing products are hard to do in the normal corporate environment. Um, and so, you know, UAV is designed to be outside of it, willing to, you know, swing for the fences, um, willing to take chances on new technologies that are still being developed because that's how you get them developed is for somebody uh, to invest in them early. And so that's really what UAV is designed to do. And, and no one else is doing it because I think we have a different culture and a different attitude at, at United uh, that we're willing to take risks. We want to be a leader. Uh, we know everything we do won't work out, um, but if we just hit, you know, we get one or two hits, it can really change the world. Absolutely. One of the things that stood out to me about your what you just said was that United wants to be a user. You want to be a customer as well yeah. as propagate the technology, right? Yeah. Is that is that the key marker for whether to invest in a technology, whether United can use it or not? Well, it doesn't have to be, um, but we're certainly biased towards things that we can use because we also bring expertise then, you know, so we're working with Boom, uh, Archer, I, you know, with Hart. Um, we, we work with all of them to also help them with our expertise, help them design the airplane. The airplane that Boom is building is going to be different because it was built from an engineering perspective. We're building it now to, you know, take the customer comfort. You know, one of the other things, if you ever flew the Concorde, you know, it was cramped and, you know, like this because it was an engineer airplane. Um, and so designing it, you know, that, that it works, design, figuring out how to work with the FAA certification process. Um, how are these planes going to work in airspace and airflow? Uh, you know, uh, an Archer airplane um, can't just, you know, fly from midtown Manhattan uh, to Newark Airport the same as it might, you know, 
in another part of the world where there's not crowded airspace. Um, and so we bring expertise uh, to the table that helps them. Uh, they can create a great product for us, um, innovative technology for our customers. Um, but it's a, a symbiotic win-win relationship. How much of this is strategic investment versus financial investment, or is it both from United? Uh, it's mostly strategic. Um, you know, to the extent that we get a, it, it's almost exclusively strategic. To the extent we get a financial, pay, we negotiate to try to get a financial payoff if it's successful. If it's really successful, we ought to share in the benefit. So we negotiate hard to do that. Um, but we view it mostly as a strategic investment. Um, but believe and look, it's already happening that financially, you know, we've made a good, a really good return uh, on them uh, on those investments. But it's more strategic than it is financial. Recently, there was criticism uh, about corporate venture models, which do strategic investments and not financial, because you get future shares at a very cheap price, and if it doesn't work out, you haven't really lost any money. Yeah. Is that uh, something that's come up in your discussions? Uh, I don't think so. Well, no, uh, I haven't heard it from anyone. Um, you know, I, I, I think of it much like venture investing, um, which a venture investor is trying to do it for financial reasons. But they recognize they're going to hit a few home runs and they're going to have a bunch that don't work out. Um, and I suspect the same will be true. I mean, I hope they all work out. But I suspect, you know, as many investments as we're making and going to continue to make, they won't all work out. But you take sustainable aviation fuel. You know, we've made a number of investments using different feedstock um, as an example. And you know, some of them are going to, and, and also sometimes a different chemical process to get there. Um, and, you know, time will tell which of those can be scaled um, and become economic. And, and they probably all won't, um, but many of them will. Uh, and, and so we're trying to make a lot of bets, but that's strategic and financial. You make a lot of bets on different feedstock and different chemical processes and staff. The chances that you get something that's big and real are higher. Um, the chances that you get a financial payoff are also bigger because you've spread your bets around. Right, right, exactly. Now let's talk about the passenger side of things. Uh, Bill Gates talks about this concept called green premium in which um, the cost of jet fuel is X and the cost of SAF is 5X uh, right now. The cost of carbon sequestration is even more. Airlines can't be expected to pay for this difference. Who pays? Is it me as a passenger who pays? Is it government subsidies? Who pays for this green premium, the difference, um, the cost of going green? Well, I, one, you got to be careful. When people talk about those kinds of numbers, they're talking about what it is today. Um, and I keep going back to, if you'd have said that 20 years ago, you'd have never built a solar farm. You'd have never built a wind farm. Um, there'd be none because that was true 20 years ago. And it's not going to be true in the future. We've got, to get to the, we've got to get to the future by investing to get there. So you shouldn't pretend that today's economics are going to be the same 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, because they're not. Um, that's probably the most important point. I think the second, an the second, this more substantive part of the answer, which applies not just to aviation, it applies to all industries, uh, is the, the best way to do this is a price on carbon. I mean, if you just put a price on carbon, it's such simple policy. Um, it's so easy and every business will figure it out. Um, and as long as you have a price on carbon, everyone will figure it out. Um, it's so easy, but you know, in government, it's hard to get, <laughs> sometimes the answer is obvious, but getting there is not as easy as, as it sounds, but that, that's the answer. It takes some time. It takes some time and effort. Well, and I, and look, truth be told without doing that or something close to that, I, it's going to be hard for the globe to get this solved. If we try to do each little thing one at a time, 
and everyone, every industry is in there lobbying for their little piece. The, the highest the highest emissions for the globe were last year, and it's going to be broken this year. The highest emission, the highest amount of coal burned in the history of mankind was last year. It's going to be broken this year. Like the numbers are going up. <laughs> we got to, we need a price on carbon if we're going to actually solve it. We got to be serious, and we got to realize it's not easy. Like the pro- the problem with getting a price on carbon, uh, you know, in Washington or around the globe is people want to have their cake and eat it too. You can't. There's no free lunch. I mean. You gotta pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, one of the things I've noticed in the past couple of years for United at United through the pandemic is um, what you told me when we first spoke, which is build back better. You wanted to yeah. come back and build back better, and that has been <laughs> coupled with this. That's a loaded term now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that was coupled with you know visionary storytelling. In, you know, United with boom yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. United's stands yeah. on uh, staff vaccination. Now, United adding, I think, double the capacity across the Atlantic compared to the rest of the uh, airlines, I, I believe, from North America. What's changed? There's, there's a new vigor here post-COVID. What's yeah. changed at United? Yeah, you know, we're, we're really proud of what we're doing at United. Our people are proud. Uh, and we're just focused on trying to do the right thing. I mean, one of the lessons that certainly was emphasized, whether I knew it before or not, doing the right thing pays off. Um, that's not the reason to do the right thing. The reason to do the right thing is just because it's the right thing. Um, but it pays off. And we did so much uh, during COVID, whether it was our sustainability initiatives, we are, we're not talking about on this one, but our diversity initiatives in the Aviate Academy out in Goodyear, uh, Arizona, or, you know, we're the first airline to require masks on airplanes. We're the only airline to ever actually run the airflow uh, when passengers were on the ground so that you got the benefits of that. It cost us money. It cost us $50 million to do that. Um, but we did it and it protected customers didn't even know protected customers, even though they didn't know it, but it was the right thing to do or vaccine requirements. Like just so much of what we've done, um, just doing the right thing. It also turns out to be really simple. I mean, you know, people get lost in detailed spreadsheets and PowerPoints. You just say, like, what's the right thing to do? Like your job's a whole lot easier and you can go have fun with your kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this vision, it's definitely been communicated out to the world uh, from strategic uh, perspective. How do you communicate this vision to customers and United employees? Well, you know, I, I've told the board um, at the end of the year this past year, um, and I still now say it all the time, that it turns out I have the easiest job of anyone at United. I ask them to forget about that when they're setting my compensation, but I do have the easiest <laughs> job um, because I only have one real responsibility, which is to make our employees proud. Um, all the things we've talked about today are the kinds of things that make them proud. Uh, there's a lot more for customers, you know, it's connection saver, buying new airplanes with great interiors. Like there's all kinds of things that make them proud. But if they're proud, then if something goes wrong, they're going to want to go above and beyond to make sure that customers don't leave with that as the impression of the norm at United. But even when things go well, they're, you know, I, I had a, a CEO who's a global customer emailed me, uh, actually texted yesterday that the fourth time in a row, he was on a flight where the captain either came out and talked to the first class customers or hand wrote them a note. Um, he's like, how is this happening? Those are the kinds of things. Those are four different captains that we can't force them to do that. Four different captains who are proud of United Airlines and they want the customers to feel that way. That is changing. Our flight attendants, they've been amazing. Like our incidents, the number of incidents we've had on United Airplanes are 10 times lower than what has happened at other airlines. Not zero, 
um, but 10 times lower than what have happened because they do an amazing job because they're proud and they when you're proud you just deliver for the customers and as much as anything that's what we're doing trying to create an environment where our in a culture where our people are proud and you know I'm one person but if we've got a hundred thousand people that are proud and want to go above and beyond we're going to be the greatest airline in the history of aviation that is fantastic and that's something that never goes wrong you know make your people proud yeah and it yeah. will come back to reward not just you but everyone yeah. who's dealing with the brand sustainability going back to it do you feel that your sustainability efforts are making united employees proud uh, i know that they are i mean i i hear about it uh, all the time that's there's a lot of things that make them proud but uh, sustainability is one of those that um particularly there's an awful lot of people that are passionate about it um and they're really proud of the leadership role and the honesty that we have. You know, like it's not a marketing issue for us. Um, I, I say to people, anytime that the sustainability group reports to the head of marketing, you can know it's probably fraud <laughs> um, because it's just marketing. Um, and, you know, I joke about like who's the chief sustainability officer. The truth is it's me. Like there's nobody that's as passionate about it as I am. Uh, we have one, but uh, and Lauren is wonderful, but um, but it, it has to start at the top for it to make a difference. And if it doesn't, it becomes a marketing issue of like, how do I get away with saying I'm green at the cheapest possible dollar? That's not what we do at United. We're trying to do the right thing. Right. No, and kudos to you for that. Thank uh, you. Final question. Your advice to other airline CEOs who sometimes are struggling with just even getting started. There is not enough SAF. There, there's a wild yeah. west out there when it comes to technology. How does an airline CEO today get started with sustainability? You know, um, I, well, I encourage them to learn more about it. I mean, th this is not unique to airlines. This is other CEOs. Um, there's not many that know enough about it, uh, about what's real and what's not. Um, and, and sometimes they believe they're doing the right thing, you know, when their team says, if we write a million dollar check to the conservancy fund, they'll offset 100% of our emissions. But they don't realize that what is really happening isn't changing anything in the world. Um, and, uh, and so first and foremost uh, is, is learn about it. And the second thing is don't get lost in what is happening today. Far too many of them get stuck with, well, here's the cost of SAF and I don't know where to go buy it today because this is should not, this should be like safety. It's not a competitive issue. It should be about all of us raising the standards to the highest level possible. But um, that's, that's mostly what I do. And if they don't do it, then you should fly on an airline that does. <laughs> it looks like we have a guest in my background. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's why this is a podcast. So he can come and dance and we won't, we won't have the BBC professor moment here. <laughs> oh, you can have him in there. He's, he's, he's one. I told him when we are done with this, we're going to the park. He likes to play in the creek oh. with his brothers. So he's ready to go. He must have finished his homework is what this means. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news then. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll wrap it up so that you can get out yeah. and spend some time in the, in the, on the creek. But Scott, this was a pleasure speaking you. with you. I really appreciate you being very honest about Thank the you. challenges as well as the vision. And I'm really looking forward to some of these investments you've, you've made coming uh, to fruition. Awesome. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air. Aviation is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries, yet there are multiple paths to get to net zero. Awareness is key to a green future. 
So please give us your support to help our sustainable aviation insights reach a wider audience. You can do this by sharing this episode on your network on LinkedIn, Twitter, or even WhatsApp. Or perhaps you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this episode. You can start a conversation with us by writing to us at podcast at simplifying, that's simply with an I, dot com. And for more content on sustainable aviation, please visit our website, green.simplifying.com and join the movement. Sustainability in the Air is an original podcast by Simplifying. The show is produced by Uri Toth in Slovakia. Dirk Singer is our Director of Sustainability, who leads research for each interviewee out of Greenwich, UK. Shubhadeep Pau is our supervising editor based out of Mumbai and Singapore. The articles are written by Ayushi Badola in Dehradun in India and Mira Hull in Montreal, Quebec. Creative design is led by Lihia Esteve in Montreal. Baiba Dreamen is the project director for the show based out of Valencia, Spain. Special thanks to Wendy Sim in Singapore. And I'm Shashank Nigam the CEO of Simplifying and your host. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.